0: Welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intricasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and shop as you normally would on those sites. Today we're going to be talking about the future of organized play and the hints of an open gaming license in the new edition of D&D. With me today at the roundtable are Joe Lestowski. Howdy. And Topher Cohen.
1: What up, what up?
0: Hey guys, so today's get-to-know-you question, since we're going to be focusing on organized play, submitted to us by our own Joe Lestowski, is what is the most fun you've had with a death during organized play? Uh, and Joe, we'll start with you. Alright, so I was,
2: uh, in the earlier seasons of Encounters, I was a player, um, and in the uh, Shadowfell season, I was playing a fighter, and I, I saw this was right after the uh, Essentials books came out, and they had that staff uh, expertise feat that gave you reach with it. And I thought, wow, my wizards never use that. What if I made a fighter with a staff? And so I went this whole staff fighting thing, and I uh, called him Little John after the whole Robin Hood staff fighter thing um but little john Redshirt was his last name because he had heard that heroic story about the guy wearing the red shirt and not uh you know all his enemies thinking he was invincible um and there was a level where we were in a library or something that was two levels and there was stairs and there was one square that was accessible from both sides of the map uh and i got completely surrounded on the stairs and did what a fighter's supposed to do and lock down all these enemies and they they you know ganged up on me and and I went down swing and took a lot of them with me but but it was just it felt like you know I was I was doing something cool I was going down for in meaningful you know everybody else got out of the shadow fell and I guess probably left my soul to be tormented in the darkness but I didn't really think about that I guess that wasn't so epic for little John's soul <laughs> but you know at the time it felt like a really great way to go out uh and I started DMing soon after that so it felt like a good sort of epic way to get rid of my character and then move into the dm role
0: well let me ask you a question did little john red shirt ever hear about the red shirts in star trek and what their fate is often well that was that was part of this <laughs> sort of unspoken joke too was that
2: i was i was playing that off of i if i can reference multiple things in the same punny kind of joke thing i absolutely will um <laughs> so yeah so yeah that was that was probably he was probably destined for that uh
0: Yes, it sounds like he was definitely destined to meet his end in a most heroic way. Telfer, how about you? One of your favorite deaths at the table.
1: So mine was actually a NPC death. Of course. Uh, I had a brand new player. Young lady sat down at the table, never played D&D, came with her boyfriend. She was really shy. I mean, I'm sure if you've run public games, you've seen this person at (laughs) your table, right? Yep, yep. And so I tend to, as I'm sure Joe will agree with, I let those people like that kind of a wide berth on the rules, so to speak. And she was playing a rogue with a uh, two-handed bastard sword. Don't ask. (laughs) Okay. Her boyfriend rolled up her character, and that's the weapon she had. Hey. Right? And and, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you, she was a halfling. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's key to this story, right? Mm.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely.
1: So come to the end of the encounter. This was like three seasons ago. This is, I think, this may have been the final. Or the next to the final when it was the old encounters where it was do this this week, this and next week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like the party had almost completely wiped, or they were all bloodied, and it was really close. But she had done pretty good because she had this crossbow, so she was standing back, but she had switched her weapons for some reason, and she had her sword in her hand, thinking she was gonna charge. And then she realized that she wasn't she was too far away. So she she looked at me and she goes, Um, can I throw my sword? <laughs> and I think, Why hell yes, you can throw your sword. How epic is that? So I quickly do some math in my head and I'm like, yeah, um give me your strength. Use your strength with with your to hit. For a range to attack, she's like, "Okay, use your use your range basic." She's like, "Okay," so she you know positions herself and you know I have this vision of this halfling taking a two hundred bastard sword and whipping it around her head and and throwing it, and she rolls a crit. <laughs> and I went, and he's dead. <laughs> she's like, "What?" I go, "Yeah, he's dead. You critted. You 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 cut his head off." <laughs> she was like, "This is awesome." <laughs> She played out the rest of the season. She played part of the next season. She's moved away since then. And I hear she's playing wherever she she lives in Carolina. But yeah, it was pretty rock and roll. It's a
0: great story of how you can uh, birth a new player at your table. Turn the timid uh, tag-along player into somebody who enjoys playing for the rest of their life. So guys, let's talk about our first topic, right? Organized play. D&D sort of released this announcement about the D&D Adventurers League. Um, which is going to be talking about how they're now sort of reorganizing, seems like a lot of rebranding of organized play. Uh, Things are going to be more systematic. It sounds like you can... Bring characters from one event to the next and they'll be able to cross over and they're divided into these three different sections. You have kickoff events which are called D&D epics and those are going to happen at uh, bigger conventions. They'll have events such as this first Tyranny of Dragons event we'll have some sort of crazy kickoff at a con and you can be a big part of that with everybody else at the con. They are going to continue D&D encounters, which is pretty cool. Mostly the same, but the you know it's got a little more polish and it sounds like it's going to continue to have a bit more of a freeform structure that we've seen in a lot of the D&D Next playtest encounters. And then it also seems like we are going to have D&D Expeditions. It seems like you're going to be able to get these PDFs and have deeper Dungeon delves, which are a little more convention-style experience, but within the store. Uh, it sounds pretty cool. Guys, is this just rebranding D&D Encounters, as I've seen some people saying? Or is this a bigger announcement we should be paying attention to? And Joe, let's start with you. Well, I
2: think the the reason that I think it's more than just a simple rebranding. I mean, obviously they're using different names for you know it's not Living Forgotten Realms, it's D and D Expeditions in the Forgotten Realms where people are living, um, you know. But uh, I I think the reason that I'm I'm excited about this and that I think it's more than just a simple renaming of things is that it looks like they have a consistent idea for the way organized play will be run with the new edition across different types of of uh adventures that they're going to put out and so it it gives me hope that there's going to be somebody uh you know paying attention to things like uh character balance or or timing of you know for the encounters uh the past couple seasons there's been very little effort put into will this fit into a two-hour weekly session uh and it looks like somebody is actually on that saying okay we're going to focus these encounters specifically to work in your weekly gaming stores. We're going to focus this expedition thing specifically to be a longer thing that runs and feels more like a campaign. We're going to focus the D&D epics to specifically be more of a huge challenge, kind of you'll probably, half of you will die and and it'll be similar to Layer (laughs) Assault kind of thing. So it, it sounds like somebody's actually putting thought into it. And I really appreciate that. That really gives me a lot of hope. Um, Also, because so much of the entire two-year playtest process of learning about the new edition has been learning about these different modules and these different, well, you might try this, you might try this. You could have different types of players at different types of tables. And it sounds like uh, they're going to have one set of rules that applies to all of their organized play so that you won't have that confusion, you won't have one person using the spell point model and one person using the Vance and casting model and one person using the oh we don't actually have hit points we use uh you know target locations for damage model you know and so I, I like that they're putting all this thought into it um, that they're being open about this and it looks like they've got uh, a decent framework.
0: Yeah. And I think to that end, one of the things that's huge is they're talking about bringing on three people who they describe as a community manager who is going to talk to the public and gather feedback. So somebody's actually going to be listening. It sounds like a content manager who's going to sort of make sure all the adventures are in line and make sense with one another and a resource manager who does all of the you know, organizational stuff and make sure everything is coming out when it should and that people are getting all everything they need to be part of the Adventurers League, which does make it seem like, wow, they're getting pretty serious if they're hiring three full-time people, you know, to look after this.
1: Topher, what do you think? I think it's, it, it, it simplifies the three things, right? I think it's something to play at events, whether it's, Conventions, whether it's game days, whether it's a hybrid of the two, and that's epics. It's something to get people who are low level, new to the game, want to get back into the game, and get them into a store on a weekly basis. That's encounters. Then there is the which we've talked about on the on this, on this podcast before. There's something for the people who fell in love with D and D, or this is their only group, people they play D D with, or are looking for a new DD to come back, whether it's bi weekly or monthly, which I think more likely how the timetable is going to work out, to come back to the store and play with higher level characters. That's called Expeditions. Mm-hmm. I think the smartest thing they're doing is that Encounters is not a standalone adventure, right? Mm-hmm. Encounters is the beginning of whatever their big story adventure that they're selling is. And they are going to take that beginning, and they're going to uh, you know, format in a way, like Joe said, to fit in two hours, sit down, play, get you from level one to level four. And then if you want to continue at home with your buddies, then you can go pick up the thing off the shelf, which will be a hardbound book, and you can be able to buy it and take it home and continue playing. Or you can join the expeditions, and then now it's more like Living, living Forgotten Realms. Right. And I think that's brilliant. I think it really shows them, I think Joe and James, Dubo said it, it looks like they're thinking about it again, like they were in the beginning as a way to not only promote the product to new people, but to also keep the, those of us who are already, di- you know, disciples engaged and happy. And the idea that they're going to give us physically something when encounters those packets they're talking about. Right. And that there are the, the, what are they, what are they, the... I forget the name they use for the groups. Oh, the factions. The factions. I think that's fantastic. And the fact that they have specifically said, hey, DMs, we kind of get that you guys are putting in all this extra time and all this extra effort, and we're going to reward you somehow. We don't quite know what that is yet, but we're going to. Now, I know you guys have heard this before, and and I'm going to say it again, is the fact that this is all fantastic, but can the five guys in the basement pull this off? <laughs> I mean, we, we've we heard this with, you know, well, this is the year of the drow, and then we had three things for drow, and it went away. This is all about the sundering. Well, that's great. And how much is that really tied into the sundering? Or this has happened, and right. that has happened. I hope they follow through with this. This is a great template. We've seen other things after it that, uh, you know, it counters gonna, is going to be probably 17 to 18 weeks long. It, they're, they're, there's not a set, oh, it's going to be this many months. It's going to be as long as they feel it takes to tell that story and get from levels one to four. I think this is... Everything you're saying makes me excited, makes me happy, makes me want to make sure I know fifth edition inside and out to to go and, and run encounters and either play or run in expeditions. I just hope they carry through.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hope they carry through too. And that's the thing. It's this all sounds awesome and amazing. And I hope that it gets the support that it needs. I like the fact that it is a kickoff adventure and Encounters because it does encourage people Then, if you like it and you want to play the rest of the story, you're there in your game store. You can pick up the adventure right there while you're there. So it also indirectly is going to help support the local friendly game store again, which is awesome. Uh, Let's talk about these factions for a little bit. Uh, Topher, you mentioned them when you were talking about them. Joe, what do you think about this idea of bringing in factions? I believe the Pathfinder Society also has factions within their their organized play. it kind of seems like a good idea to bring it within it. It ties you character to the universe a little bit more. And it, when you're sitting together with a bunch of people, maybe you don't know at a con or at a new game store or something, you have an immediate tie to those players. And I like that. It gives you some further story to tie in and built in relationships. But what do you think, Joe? I'm, I'm on the fence right now. Cause I don't have a lot
2: of familiarity with, uh, with like the way Pathfinder does factions, things like that. Um, the last time I saw D anD D try factions was when we had different drow houses trying to kill one another, and that really didn't work well in an organized play setting because everybody was more concerned with how they could backstab people from the other factions than how they could role play together to have a fun time. Um, so. I think it could go very wrong, uh, but I'm not going to sit here and assume that it will. Um, I'm excited to see what they have to offer with it. Uh, I think uh, I've been very happy with a lot of the talk that they've put in uh, with the new additions, backgrounds, and how those will help to flesh your character out and different you know, things that you've done and different aspects of your, your character and whatnot. And I think factions is another way to do that, another way to... Uh, potentially help your character feel like more of a, a living creature in a world that matters. Uh, so if they go that route with it, I think it's great. If they start getting into faction competitions where there will be losing factions, then anybody in a losing faction is going to have less fun. And that, that I'm potentially worried, but I'm not going to put a lot of effort into actually worrying until I see what they've got to offer.
0: Sure, because then you have to decide, is your adventuring group or is your faction more important? Right, right, yeah get crazy. Topher, what are your thoughts on the factions?
1: Uh, I, I Funny Joe brought that up. Uh, when I first read that, the thing I thought of exactly was the how, the drow houses in, in that season of encounters and how that just, it, it didn't matter. <laughs> right? And that's the key to this. I think the factions will work if they make it matter or make it so I want to be part of a faction and I want my faction to do well. And I agree that my faction doing well doesn't mean other factions have to do poorly. Right. Right. But if it doesn't matter or not I'm at a table or the players in at a table's faction, if they're part of a faction and if their faction's doing well or if it has no impact on the game, then it's kind of a mechanic that is oh, cool and all. But I only have two hours and I just want to play my D&D, so why should I worry about that? Yeah,
0: it should be like – the house cup in Harry Potter, right? Like it should be like, yeah, if, if, if the factions are put against each other, the whole of the adventuring group should still be more important. But then at the end, it's like, Hey, you guys in Gryffindor get the house cup and that's cool too, but it doesn't really mean anything. The important thing is you lived through the school year. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Is that a good
1: analogy? No, that, that's the perfect analogy. It, <laughs> it, it, at the end of however many weeks encounters is, if I would love to be able to DM and look at and go, Hey, faction blah blah, because of what you guys did and how you guys work together, here's these extra rewards that your characters get to take on the expeditions. And oh, by the way, sorry, faction blah blah, because you guys basically just ignored each other, you guys don't get that boon.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. But you don't get it you don't get penalized for that. You just don't C- get the
2: reward. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that could that could work. That could work. Kind of like they did with the um the cards that they gave out when you got the renown points in, in previous fourth ed, uh, encounters, uh, mm, yeah. seasons.
0: Let's talk about tyranny of dragons, which is going to be the first adventure that sort of unites the D and D Adventurers league across all of these epics, expeditions and encounters. These adventures that are being put out were not, written and created by Wizards of the Coast, guys! I mean, Wizards of the Coast is publishing them and putting them out, but, but, they were made by Cobalt Press, which is kind of mind-blowing, because nobody during 4th edition was making 4th edition products, really, except for Wizards of the Coast. Uh, So let's talk about this a little bit, and what this means. Topher, what can you tell us about this? And what do you think was the reason behind tapping Cobalt Press to write these Tyranny of Dragons adventures?
1: I want to first say this was brilliant on theirs. It shows to me that they care about getting the rule set right Mm -hmm. and not dividing their resources. Because we know, I mean, we saw there was an article this week where um, uh, Meryl's talked about how there was only 15 or 20 people who work on Dungeon & Dragons solely at Wizard of the Coast, and of those, less than half of them are, are working on the on the RPG only. So with that kind of resources, you really want to make sure that they are putting their efforts towards the rule set and the books and the such around that. So I think they reached out to Cobalt, and I think it's a situation where they wanted to work with Wolfgang Bauer and his brilliance, and he you know, he, you know worked on five and... You know, has had some um, experience and knows them, and I think they, I think the stuff that they've put out, that's been 4e and 3.5 compatible, has been really quality, well written stuff. And you know, I think this is a smart idea. I hope they keep going forward with this and tapping third party publishers to design official Wizard of the Coast D and D adventures. I think that it brings the community together, and I think that's great.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more with all of those sentiments. I think it is. Really smart of them to be doing this and to be focusing on the core rule books and let somebody else write the adventures right now. I will actually link that article. It's from The Escapist, I believe, in the show notes. So if anybody wants to check that out, uh, check it out in your show notes, either online at com or if you're listening through your iDevice. Uh, it is also available in the show notes. There puts in the handy dandy links right for you. Joe, what do you think about them getting involved, Cobalt Press, in writing adventures? I was super happy when I
2: saw this because I have really, really enjoyed all of the Cobalt Press stuff that I have uh, partaken. Of uh, their their Midgard campaign setting, which is all kind of like a a Norse mythology D and D world, is just phenomenal, and and I love everything about it. Um, Some of the other products that they put out over the years, it just I I like the way they think. I like the way their adventures are set up. I like the way their their worlds are set up, and and seeing them get a chance to you know to participate in the new edition of D and D like this. I, I'm not going to say that I dislike the stuff that Wizards of the Coast puts out, but I like that there are other voices that we're going to get to hear. I like that we're going to get a diversity of ideas because I think that can only be a good thing for everybody. Uh, you know, the more the more the more different creative minds we have working on the D and D that we all experience. I mean, that from day one of the D and D Next playtests, they talked about what's iconic in D and D. What's iconic in D and D is that there is no one iconic in D and D. That everybody gets to put their little bit in, uh, and so inviting more more uh, creative minds to the table, I think, can only end well uh, for all involved.
0: Yeah, and to make another nerd analogy that will make little to no sense, <laughs> uh, it's kind of <laughs> like inviting new directors and new creative into the Star Wars universe, right? And even more so, it's important in D and D because, like you said, it's always been a game that many people have contributed to rather than one overall creative force or person. So I do like to see this kind of thing going on. And I think this segues perfectly into our next topic, which is the OGL. Mike Merles published an article in his legends and lore column, uh, on the 29th of May called gazing into the crystal ball. And, uh, basically he goes on to say that they are going to be working on in some sort of open gaming license for the future edition of D&D. But that just like they want to take their time, as Topher was saying, with the Player's Handbook and with the DMG and with the Monster's Manual, they want to take their time with the open gaming license and make sure they're getting that right as well. So it looks like we're going to have some details announced at the by the end of 2014, but that the OGL won't actually go into effect and... You know, the program won't be launched until 2015. I, uh, in particular, was pretty excited about this. Um, you know, uh, I've made no secret on the podcast that I am hoping to publish some stuff, self-publish some stuff, just a little uh, setting of myself with a few, you know, homebrew mechanics and things like that. And I'd love to be able to share it with the world, but I'd also be li- love to be able to, like, cover my bandwidth costs and things like that. So I mm. think this is good news. There's not a ton of detail about it yet. We're going to hear more as time goes on. Uh, but uh, it's certainly very encouraging, especially for, I think, the, the little game designers and stuff out there. Um, so Topher, talk to us a little bit about this. How do you feel about this OGL announcement?
1: So reading what Mike said, I would like to take this away. This is what the optimistic, ever open-minded Topher thinks. Is that what the new license is going to be, whatever it is, right, is more about quality control and unified look and feel than it is about controlling content and or ownership. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, then that's fantastic because I don't care who publishes it, right? I don't care if you do it man, or if Joe does it, or if Merrill's does it, or Paizo does it. right? I don't care. As long as when I pick it up, or somebody picks it up, it looks like every other DD. It has the same format and layout and qualities, every other DD module out there for 5th edition. And I don't have to go, okay, let me work my way through this and try to figure out how to read this. Uh, it was a frustration for me that the way that Wizards of the Coast laid out their 4th edition modules, and then the way that other companies laid out their 4th edition, product were not uniform mm-hmm. and so that as a dm i couldn't just pick up a third party module and run through it the same way as i could uh wizard of the coast one but yeah, you know so if, like if that's really what this is about then rock on i think they hit they hit another home run
0: so you think they're probably going to be taking a a closer look at anyone who is publishing a fifth edition product to make sure that it's consistent with the things that are that they are making consistent with their own stuff in 5th edition.
1: Yeah, I think they're going to put out a style guide, a cool. layout and style guide and say, hey, if, awesome. you're gonna put, if, if you're going to put – if you're going to say this is 5th edition compatible and you're going to put our logo on it, which that part of the license will say that, right? Then mm-hmm. it has to conform to these – to this layout and style guide.
0: That's awesome. And I don't think
1: that's unreasonable. I don't think that's unreasonable at all.
0: No, I mean they don't even have to make an OGL. You know, it's that is pretty awesome that they would that they would do that. That they're saying, hey, you know, in the spirit of D and D, put out stuff, share stuff. We we want it to be out there. So I think that's awesome. I think that's great. Uh, Joe, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, when I first heard about an OGL, I, I was both excited and terrified um, because I saw with third edition and three point five a lot of uh, third party books that really didn't fit with the rest of, of what was what was out there or there was ridiculous power creep uh, or sometimes not even creep, sometimes just power sprinting. Um, and I, my hope is that uh, this sort of oversight that they have with this new OGL will also look at balance uh, for the system and how these new, you know, whatever new products are, are getting released, uh, how they might fit within within uh sort of the, the the level of of power that, that different you know that, that it won't turn one class into the class everybody has to play or it, it won't break things um and that it's it's you you'd mentioned different directors for the Star Wars movies earlier and it's it'll be the difference and and I'll be watching very closely when this finally gets released um it will either be having new directors brought to the table for the new Star Wars movies or it will be the old expanded universe where you had authors stealing each other's characters and, and rewriting things and, you know, it, it just got, you know, and then you had a sun crusher and it just <laughs> got ridiculous, you know. And so I I want to, I, wanna, I my, my hope is that there will be someone overseeing that and saying, hey, you know, we got to say no on this. You've got to tone this down a little. The rest of this is great, but here's our here's our, our edits for this or here's our, our concerns about this. Um, you know, and if somebody wants to come up with a world where there happened to be, you know, suits of power armor and whatever else, then that's great. And, and they can release that as their own product, but I just don't want that sort of ruining the rest of D and D. I wanted to make sure that those things keep their own, their own, uh, their own flavor and their, their own, uh, place without, without necessarily calling themselves an official D and D thing that you can bring to the table, you know, at your local encounters game or something.
0: Sure. Well, and I think the big thing to remember is right. That, DM agency is something that I think you're going to see boosted up a little bit. Not that it's going to take away from any of the player agency of 3rd and 4th edition, but I do think Mm -hmm. you're going to see a lot of things in the player's handbook and in the DMG that say, you know, the DM is the final authority and a constant reminder of that, I think, as the golden rule kind of of D&D is going to be important. Uh, to show throughout all of these products. And we've seen it a lot in a lot of the D&D Next products, this reminder of like, hey, you're the DM, you can change anything you want. Hey, players, remember, you gotta ask your DM before you do anything crazy. So hopefully that will mantra will also continue for anything, you know, uh, ridiculous that comes out. So when your pr- player brings a mech suit to the, in the Encounters game, you're able to say, ah, sorry, that's not a thing that exists in Forgotten Realms or wherever Encounters is set.
1: I'll, I'll tell you what I would love is that is that I think you got to give them, you got to give publishers, so someone like James, an incentive to go through a review process. You can't just say, well, it, you know, you get to put the logo on there. I think the incentive would be great from a DM's point of view that if you get the official Wizard of the mm-hmm. Coast, D&D 5th edition compatible mm-hmm. logo on it, then then your stuff is now included in whatever we're calling the compendium for fifth edition. So it's not just stuff published by Watsi. It can be stuff published by James or Paizo or Kobold or whoever. So when I sit down to go look for something, I can find this cool thing from this, from this other place and bring it into my world. That would rock and roll.
0: Oh, that would be, it
1: seems like that would
0: probably take a lot of work on their end, but uh, it would definitely be interesting to see. All right, guys. Joe, where can people find you? Uh, I am
2: frequently posting every week at uh, DungeonsMaster.com, where we cover weekly encounter sessions from DMs all over the world. Uh, and also on Twitter at Joe Listowski. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes, I'm sure. I also write uh, reviews at my local gaming store, uh, Modern Myths. Uh, their website is uh, Modern-Myths.com.
0: That's right. You can find out what the average Joe thinks about all of the latest D&D products, which will be coming out starting in July. So look forward to that. Topher, where can folks
1: find you? Uh, They can find me most of the time on, on the Twitters at Topher ATL, also on Google plus at the same place, Topher ATL. And uh, on uh, Wednesdays, you can find me at my local friendly gaming store here in, Smyrna, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. Titans uh, Games and Comics. Come visit us. Play some counters.
0: Nice, nice. And guys, if you have a question or topic you'd like to see us discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. And a quick shameless plug, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the 5th edition world that I'm building. It's a worldbuilderblog.me. All right, thanks for listening, and thanks to Joe and Tover. Also, a lot of thanks to Jeff Breiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support this show. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.